Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. So we're launching here into our discussion centered around uh, the Torah portion, Korach, which covers Numbers chapter 16 through 18. We also picked up the parallel readings in 1 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 and also Acts chapter 5. And um, in this particular section, one of the things that we're going over and one of the, the key ideas here is that like master, like servant, like student. That's one of the key lessons that we have here. Because, you know, if the world is going to hate you, as recorded there from John chapter 15, verses 19 and 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this world, because of this, the world hates you. So basically hated because of who you are and what you represent. Uh, sound familiar? <laughs> That's something that um, it's also known as uh, shooting the messenger as uh, something that happens quite often throughout history. Now, in addition to this, we some other lessons we get from this particular Torah reading and parallel passages is really to guard yourself against uh, envy and jealousy and covetousness for your position, your authority, for your esteem. And, you know, some lessons that we get from that and the life of Yeshua and the you know, life of Moses and is... We see from the last Passover that Yeshua it mentions there in the Gospel of John that you know because he knew where he came from, he knew where he was going, so thus he took a towel and wrapped it around himself and went and washed his student's feet to take the role of a servant, and that was he was not looking. To grasp for power and that was an example for each of his students because he told them you know if you think that you're the greatest you must become the servant and that is what makes you the greatest so lessons that we also get from Korach are you know to praise the father for what you do have rather than complaining about or yearning for what you don't have you know be thankful for blessings and mercy not earned and that's something that we're learning a lot in going through the study of Romans right now is that our our presence in the kingdom of God is, is something that God has done by his grace and his gift to us. And what is then our response as being part of the kingdom? That is, um, you see in a number of places, um, particularly in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, that that is one of the results of our coming into the kingdom, that we are so glad. We see that also in the Gospels and like the response of Zacchaeus when he is called. 
and his big debt is forgiven. And, you know, he goes well beyond what the Torah would require of restitution. And, but that was done out of his thankfulness and, and showing fruits in keeping with repentance as the, the um, prophet uh, Yochanan the baptizer said to those who were coming down for the baptism. It's like, well, do you, re- do you really want to turn from your ways? Well, how much is, is that to you to be freed from all this? If you are freed from all this, what gratitude do you have for it? And some other lessons that we get from this particular passage, be careful of what you absorb from the culture around you because <laughs> it could be a spiritual poison that you're absorbing from the culture around you. And other lessons, respect authority and welcome correction. Don't trash talk or undermine your parents, leaders, or other people. And lastly, you know, forgive. Let heaven handle the vengeance and seek reconciliation. So those are some of the big picture ideas in this. Where the the meat of this particular confrontation comes in, and you know, it's something that we noted in our last Torah reading that that this was a part of the the general decline that you saw coming after the pivotal decision that the leaders of Israel made in in siding with those uh, ten spies who had a bad report, or you should say, as as we saw in our last Torah study, uh, they took a they perceived a bad. Um, opinion of what their their ability to take the land was. You know, they observed things going on, but then they perceived themselves to be like grasshoppers. And so thus, grasshoppers are not able to take on giants. So thus, then they would not be able to take on the land. I'm completely not taking into account um, who it was who traveled with them and had sustained them and delivered them out of the house of bondage to begin with. So, now on to Korach. And just as a bit of a reminder here of Korach's lineage and uh, some of the other ringleaders that are part of this, Korach, Datan, and Abiram that are mentioned here in this particular passage. Korach is talked about descending from uh, Itzar, uh, Itzar So his line from Levi comes through Levi's son Kohat, and then through Kohat's son Itzar, and thus uh, Korach had um, three described sons that you see later on in some other passages like First Chronicles uh, chapter 5, 6, and 23, which records their lineages. So, we see some of the lineage of uh, Korah at later, Korah uh, later on after this particular incident, but Korah himself um, uh, went down in ignominy on this. Now, for Datan and Abiram, they both are de, came from Eliab, so they're descendants of uh, Jacob through uh, Reuben. So through uh, Jacob's uh, son Levi is where Korah comes from. So through Jacob's son Reuben, uh, 
Rubain and then uh, Rubain's son uh, Palu, or also called uh, Pelet. And through Pelet's son Eliab comes uh, Datan Abiram. And uh, the third son, uh, Nemuel, uh, did not participate in this particular thing, or at least did not suffer the the consequences of this. So that's where they they come from. So one came through the tribe of Levi, one came through the tribe of Rubain. So um, commentators over many centuries have have noted this uh, geographical connection between the ringleaders of this particular thing. And you'll notice that on the south side of the tabernacle, where the families of Kohat, which is where Korah would be, as coming from Kohat, next to, on the outer, um, outer perimeter from the tabernacle, from Kohat, was also the tribe of Rubain, along with the tribes of God and the tribe of Shimon, or Simeon. So, those three tribes were there on the south side with Kohat. So, they were neighbors, so to speak, of a sort. And, you know, there's all kinds of speculation that could come in. And if you've gone camping, and especially if you've gone camping to, to one of the uh, festival celebrations, you know that, that uh, neighbors and campsites tend to talk a lot. <laughs> tend to uh, talk a lot. And, you know, the... It's, you could say, possible that their um, disagreements of things could could spread from one to the other. But it is interesting that it caught on with uh, Rubain and not with the other the other uh, particular tribe members. Now you also have to think about what you have in common with those um, the 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 two particular. Um, tribes and families that they come from. Kohat, as uh, as we read earlier in the book of uh, Bamibar Numbers, uh, they were responsible for carrying, you know, the most holy things inside the tabernacle and coming in after they were bundled up for, for travel. After the uh, sons of Aharon uh, would come in the priests and they would cover things up and then the um, sons of Kohat would come in and carry them off. So, uh, the those from Kohat would be one close to the very holy things but not quite. And Rubain, another thing that was we, what do we know of Rubain? Uh, this would be a a good reminder question. Does anyone remember what is the hallmark of Rumain? Tribe of Reuben? Firstborn. There we go. So, was the firstborn, but then replaced as the firstborn. And thus, you you could sort of see with some of this and this is where some of the speculation comes in of motives that you were in a position to be firstborn but then someone else comes in and serves as firstborn 
Um, and then you see also with the serving close to the holy things and then um, not actually serving as the priesthood for the holy things. Now, you think also, when we combine this with passages that we read at the time of Shavuot, Pentecost, of um, Exodus 19, where it talks about what was the Lord's statement to all Israel, that you would be a nation of priests. You'd be a nation of priests. And this you see also coming through in what um, Korach was saying and what these these rabble rousers were were saying you know aren't we all holy so an interesting picture there so some interesting questions that come up that are some statements of what Korach was saying like in Numbers 16:10 you know he says are you seeking for the priesthood also and one lesson that we get off of that is um, about not aspiring too quickly or too hastily to be teachers. So whatever role that you're in, do we seek to take on more than we're really ready for in any particular time period? And one of the things that... Um, people have observed over time and there is some language in the Hebrew that can somewhat suggest this is that the word that we have in this particular passage that describes the swallowing up the swallowing up of the all these rabble rousers is the same word that describes the covering up of the items back in uh, it's very interesting in Numbers chapter 4 in Numbers chapter 4 when it talks about the duties when it talks about the duties of the the um, the descendants of Korah one of the things that you see in this is that let's just take a look at this here so, Merari, Rishon, Kohat. So, uh, Numbers chapter 4, verse 17, starting. Now, the Lord spoke to Moshe and to Aharon, saying, Do not let the tribe of the families of the Kohathites be cut off from the Levites, but do this to them, that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy objects. Aharon and his sons shall go in and assign each of them to his work and to his load, but they shall not go in to see the holy objects even for a moment, or they will die. And the interesting thing that um, is that comes up with that particular passage is about the going in to see the holy objects and the, what the way the word is described there is that it is of um, you could say a swallowing up you will not go in to see the objects being swallowed up I mean, the picture of the uh, covering of the items is seen as a um, picture of swallowing up 
the the holy items so uh, a very interesting picture that the they were going in to work on and carry carry these objects out of the most holy place after they had been swallowed up with the covering well then you see later on korach is now coming to moshe without his covering of his duties there and saying hey i can i can be just um i can be approaching god just like anybody else aren't we all holy and not realizing what it is that the protection the covering that he had in his particular place and um you see a similar thing that happened to Aharon's uh, two sons when they um you know nadab and abihu when they were offering the foreign fire or strange fire or the out of place fire they were consumed because it talks about the fire of the lord coming out you know at when they were approaching and not respecting the way in which they were approaching the presence of god there was no covering there was no protection for them like there is for uh, moshe because of his personal connection with god and with Aharon when he was going about his duties in the prescribed way. And another thought here from Numbers chapter 16, verse 12, it talks about, we will not come up when they say in response to uh, Moshe saying, hey, yeah, come up. <laughs> and uh, this is, where you also get some of the positional language where they talk about making aliyah you know of, of going up to the mountain of the lord no matter what topography you're on you're seen to be going up going from a lower state to a higher state and thus you know the mindset that uh, korach was saying of trying to democratize the situation and say hey aren't we all equals aren't we all the same in position and in status so why are you saying that i have to come up and go anywhere i'm not going to come up to you and a lesson that we can get from that is um very similar to a parable that Yeshua told about those seated at the banquet and, you know, do not seat yourself in the best places because <laughs> you may get removed by someone who is in a higher level, um, deemed in a higher level by the banquet um, organizer, the banquet master. No, but rather sit in a lower position and thus get moved up by the owner of the banquet you know do not think of yourself as more important than you are you know which also comes with the corollary for those that are um those that are crushed in spirit as it as it talks about um and the beatitudes you know blessed are those who are 
you know, poor in spirit, or a better way to say it, crushed in spirit, or humbled in spirit, those were brought low, made low. And for those particular people, um, the uh, and it can be very easy to um, crush yourself down further and have a tendency to want to do so just by what um, box that you have found yourself in to thinking this way. So for that particular person, you know, the idea of uh, crushing yourself down further um, has to be taken very, very carefully because uh, you can then think that you're not worthy of anything, which is one of the lessons that we're going through in Romans is to realize what great gift that we are given as being called sons and daughters of the kingdom of God and not because of how special we are, but because of the specialness that the heaven has has given to us. So that's a very important lesson because we can think, well, you know, I, I'm just not a great person. Why would heaven ever want to have anything to do with me? Well, it's not because of how great we are. It's because of how great heaven is in making this rescue plan, this reconciliation of the family possible. So that's one of the challenges that we have with Korach is when you have a part of your organization, the people who are the closest to seeing as as the aphorism goes, seeing how the sausage is made of the of the tabernacle. I, I know it's an incredibly uh, crude illustration, but um, one of the things that they an, an old aphorism it's a, attributed to um, a very early uh, German Republic uh, figure that said there's a couple things you don't want to see ever made sausage and um, government legislation. <laughs> And uh, for obvious reasons, which with the the sausage about seeing what goes into it, and and a not not so um, a not so disgusting way of it is what happens within the the tabernacle because you have the awe of the tabernacle everyone is told there you cannot go in you cannot uh, you cannot perceive you cannot touch what is going on in there it is the ultimate other place and we are just not allowed to go in any way which we want and we hear the accounts of those who tried to go in when they wanted and uh, where fire came out from the Lord and consumed them so but you're somewhat close to the objects. Well, then, how do you, how do you get in to be close to the objects? Well, that's a, it's a very important question. How do we get there? We are humbled in our approach. We have to go through a process of coming in as a as the offering, the thing which approaches. So, one of the things that 
Korach was alleging in this in Numbers chapter 16, verse 13, when he says, You brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness. And one of the things that we have seen, and we we saw it when we were going through a reading last Shabbat with uh, Hebrews 3 and 4, and you see it also in talking about the bread that came down from heaven, recorded there in John chapter 6, is that this experience in the wilderness, that going to the land flowing with milk and honey, to have us die in the wilderness, you you are forgetting about what you were experiencing before you got to the land flowing with milk and honey. This bread, the daily bread that is coming to sustain you. So, one of the things that in trusting the one who's taking you through to the land flowing with milk and honey was that he was going to also bring you through this wilderness and not to have you just die because of desertion and lack of water and food. Because remember that in the, in the span of this wicked generation, they also benefited from the aspect, and we'll see that when we get into the book of Deuteronomy, where it mentions in the first part of it that the they miraculously were sustained with their um their clothing their sandals so you know they didn't have to have major workshops going on to make clothing and and uh footwear but they were sustained through that so even the generation that was going to die off they were still blessed with this daily bread and still blessed with the sustaining aspects of their daily life even in the midst of the judgment that that first generation was under that they were not going to go in into the land but you know think also of the first generation that they were also there still continuing to teach the second generation that was going to go in. Now think about the the amount of um, the amount of tr- of trust that heaven is is putting upon that first generation. They have been given a judgment that they are not going to go into the land uh, flowing with milk and honey. No, rather, as their children would be going in. The ones that they feared would die from all of the giants and in their walls with uh, t- in their cities with tall walls, etc. They thought they were going to fall victim to it, but no. The, um, the wilderness is going to succumb, is going to make the first generation succumb to it. They did not trust the one who brought them. They did not have faith in the one who brought them out. Another accusation that Korach was bringing in Numbers chapter 16, verse 14, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. And one of the aspects of that is that it was, remember, remember what the spies saw when they went in, like the Valley of Eshkol, you know, the Valley of the Cluster, that is what is named after, where they brought in evidence, yay, this land, this land is unbelievably fruitful. 
this land is really fruitful and it can uh, sustain the population. Well, do you actually trust that that's going to happen? And Korach is asserting, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Well, the spies saw it there in the land. The only reason that they're not sitting in those fields and vineyards is because they didn't want to trust the Lord the first time and to actually go in. So, that would be something that the next generation would actually undertake. But the next generation would inherit the vineyards that those people of the land had planted and those people of the land had tended and watered and cultivated over years and years and years. So some of the other uh, lies that are spread here, and each one of you take his fire pan and put incense on it. And one of the things that the incense is symbolic of is of a covering presence, but also of prayer. So, these, each of these people has a a censer. Now, it you you might think this is this is very curious here because you're thinking of the censers. What on earth were all of these people doing with censers? And people have speculated on why all these people had censers all the time, uh, or why they all had censors, uh, at least the rabble-rousers did. And there's speculations, well, maybe perhaps they had made them just for this particular incident that they had said, okay, make make a censor. Or these could have been um, leftovers from the time period where um, before the tabernacle was finished and each leader of the household, each tribe leader was uh, functioning as a minister for their own family. So maybe that is why you would have the the censors there. Regardless of what way things came down, just think of what happened when there was a centralization of the worship of God within the tabernacle. We're saying, in this place is where the uh, God's presence is going to come. And that had moved it away from your place being it happens in your particular house. Well, for those people who were wanting it to, um, the worship of God to remain at their house, this more formal aspects of it, well, that would be kind of a, a jarring sort of thing. Some people can let that go. Some people, um, not so much. And, you know, one of the things that is often happens within you know, congregations is, um, yeah, it, there's often discussion among the um, liturgical circles that uh, uh, among the uh, I, I, I should say the uh, the people of the clergy in their circles that when you have uh, groups that are meeting uh, separately and get together, that's a fantastic thing for keeping uh, together. Um, keeping the bonds of people together uh, outside of any particular central worship time. 
But what can often happen is those can be some places for people that um, will want to take the Frank Sinatra route to the worship of God and uh, do it their own way where they can get an airing for their ideas and take things further. Now, the question is, is that those those can be great i great places to pursue ideas and to um look at look at scripture but what then is the heart that you pursue that in do you say okay here here's this fantastic idea and then we go back to our uh, greater assembly and hash things out well what happens if those ideas are not well received or they face opposition what what then happens because of it and what is then the attitude of the people who brought these ideas do they just say okay well um it will be my own idea or will they decide to uh take their group further apart uh start sowing dissension about the 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 leadership of the congregation now everybody is fallible both those with the ideas and those in the leadership for not listening to the ideas if they indeed are valid and you can see where these problems come up and they can either be wrongly addressed wrongly followed um on many on many different ways so the, the rebellion of Korok is a great example to avoid the what has become through the Protestant uh, movement as a great separation into all kinds of uh, splinter groups, all kinds of different ways. And moving on further. In uh, number 1619, Korach assembled all the congregation against them at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So, remember that this is the place where everyone would bring their offerings. You would bring your offering. This is the way that you would approach. You would bring your korban, the thing that approaches. So, that was, and on a normal day, this is where... If you wanted to become closer to God, um, whether this was an appointed time or just on a regular judgment that needed to be handled with the uh, reconciliation offerings involved, um, whatever the issue was, if you were wanting to become close to God, this is where you would come. But in this case, this is where Korach was bringing dissension right to the place where people were trying to approach God. You might re, you might remember something uh, that got Yeshua incensed when he went into the tabernacle, and he was uh, tabernacle. He went into the the temple at the time, and he was uh, very upset because in the area that was for uh, the people of the nations, the Gentiles, they were uh, having buying and selling for the offerings that people would bring in. Well, so this would be a court uh, leading up to the entrance of the temple, so a big area. Well, uh, at that particular time, this is as far as the um, there would be a dividing line between the outer 
court of the Gentiles and the inner court where people would be able to get closer to the gate. Well, imagine then that you were trying to approach God and you have to go through a, a, a shopping center with all the blinking lights and, and blaring uh, advertisements and such like that. I mean, what kind of a experience... Um, and then if you have uh, the accusations of uneven scales, etc., that were happening with the conversion of the uh, common money or the common money of the empire into the, the temple, the temple um, currency, the shekel, uh, for use of the contributions there and what was your conversion rate going to be, <laughs> etc. So you can understand how and why um, Yeshua got so incensed about turning the house of prayer into a den of robbers. And an interesting aspect of this is that um, one of the things that we get earlier on in Exodus, in Exodus 22:28, and we see this uh, instruction uh, just after the Ten Commandments and some of those sundry instructions right after the Ten Commandments. It says, You shall not curse God, nor curse the ruler of your people. And we see a couple of examples of where uh, there was pushback on the high priest at the at the time period and one of which is recorded in acts 23 verses 1 through 5 and that is where the apostle paul was brought among to one of his um among his great um confrontations with the sanhedrin and you know he was um being accused in and somebody, the high priest, then instructed someone to slap him. And then he said, you know, you whitewashed wall, <laughs> you whitewashed tomb. Uh, why are you slapping me? And uh, then they said, hey, how dare you revile the high priest? And um, Saul says, well, I did not know he was the high priest. And uh, quoted this passage from Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight. 28. Um, one of the ideas that historians have have suspected as to how he may not have known who the high priest was was that in some periods of um that roman domination of the holy land was that there were some cases where there were two high priests at a given particular time one that was sort of retired <laughs> and one that was on on duty and we see a similar exchange that Yeshua had when he was challenged in uh, John chapter 18, verses 19 through 24. And in that particular case, you see that Yeshua said, Hey, um, why would you strike me? If it's true, it's true. If it's not, it's not. Show where it is running, running amiss realize that there's a bit of a juggling that has to be done with with the audio there on site I, any any questions or observations with some of the passages we have gone over so far before we go on much further okay so in numbers uh, 1622 it says when one man sins will you be angry with the entire congregation and so one of the the things that i hope you see is the the difference in attitude of the leaders 
the attitude of the leaders, Korach and um, Datan and Abiram, they're making these accusations. Hey, you're, you're thinking too much of yourself. You've taken too much authority onto yourself. You were, um, you're thinking yourself much more highly than you should. You, and you've taken on this role that you really shouldn't have because, hey, we're all holy. Why should we not have uh, similar access to God? You know, who do you think you are? But the attitude of Moshe and Aharon, and Moshe, they're falling on their faces, you know, begging with God to have mercy upon them when this plague starts coming through again into all the people. After the whole uh, swallowing up of the, the family, then you have um, Moshe then sends out Aharon to intercede. And very similar to the situation we saw at the Golden Calf, which was another great rebellion against God. It wasn't a specifically a rebellion against um, Moshe. Uh, they were said at that particular time, they were like, well... Okay, yeah, he's up there. We don't know what happened to him, but uh, uh, let's the worship, observe the festival uh, as as we know how. And then they went forward with the the golden calf, with Aharon, <laughs> uh, actually uh, leading things out. And he had um, Aharon had mercy upon him only because of what role he was chosen to fill. When others um, would not have had that much mercy given to them, but one of the things that um, we see with this particular aspect of um, what Yish what uh, Moshe is interceding with God, you know, when one man sins, will we be angry with the entire congregation? And you see a corollary to that with what. Uh, the happens with uh, Yeshua and when he was on trial and the high priest at that time it the gospels mentioned that he you know uh, was an um an unknowing or unwitting uh prophet in saying that uh you know shall one man die for the sake of the nation and indeed actually the answer to the question was yes and that was heaven's plan and had been heaven's plan uh, from long ago. The lame, the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth was something that was planned uh, way back, way back when. And recorded in the prophets like Isaiah 53 where it talks about that like a lamb led to the slaughter. That yes, this would be one who would take upon the take upon himself the sins of the world the iniquities of the world and it is is very interesting that yeah, even in in our english aphorisms we you know we have these aphorisms like you know getting swallowed up by your work being consumed by your work uh, and what does that mean? That means that you are you are so into what it is that you're doing that you may not be able to come back out of it before you know it has uh, driven you to exhaustion, driven you into bankruptcy, 
you know, driven you into who knows what kind of um, line crossing or boundary crossing that you've done in pursuing the things that you've been consumed with, whether it's a, a job or uh, some sort of diversion, a hobby, whether it's uh, some sort of, um, you could say, <laughs> daily diversion, which uh, can move into something that uh, becomes a um, a house of bondage for you. What whatever it is that you've gone into that has is like consuming you like an open mouth. You think of those those uh, uh, movies or or such where you see like a whale or a shark um, opening its mouth and consuming something and just think of yourself falling into that and not being like you have teeth or whatever that is holding you and pulling you in and that there's no escape from it. So too, we may feel that we have gone too far into whatever we're in, that there's no way out. But do we take that lifeline that is thrown to us to say, hey, yes, you may feel like you are just in chains that are unbreakable, but do you trust the bondage breaker to break your chains and to haul you up out of your pit that you're in and to lead you on? If you think you're in a hole that is so dark that no light is in it, do you trust that the one who said, let there be light, be able to shine into your heart and to show you the way out that there is, there is light in the world that is not all darkness, no matter how dark and how deep you think the pit you're in is. But for those that do want to revel into the realm of darkness um, the lesson of Korach, where it talks about being swallowed up alive into Sheol, into the grave, um, that obsession can drag others down with you. And you see that that is the example of Korach, the Datan, and Abiram, that they would go down together and all that were a part of their household. So, and again, what we what we leave to the Lord is the ultimate uh, decider in in the judgment, one way or the other. Because what we think people that uh, shouldn't be condemned or should be condemned, really, that is a decision that is up to the Lord ultimately. Because we we never know how that is actually um, decided. Now, what we do know is what the Lord has actually communicated to us when he says, you are sons and daughters of God. You are called by God. You are declared not guilty of the things uh, that have separated us from God and called into his presence. But do we actually want to go? Do we want to, and when we do go into the kingdom of God, do we want to stay? Is this some place that we we like to be? Now, as they, the uh, the saying goes, you can learn to like it, and that is really a part of what this um, big fifty cent word called sanctification is about. It's learning to like the kingdom of God. Is that you're in there and you say, 
I like these ways better than the old ways I was in before. I may have been entertained. I may have been intrigued and so many other uh, adjectives to describe how we were enamored and uh, enthralled and, and really delighted by the things of this world that are temporary and that are passing and that are really contrary to the way that the Creator set them up. But perhaps the, there is a different path in which we can be enthralled by the things of heaven. That when we get out and we have a little bit of separation, hmm, maybe in that term meaning a little bit of holiness where God separates us out of where we were before, then we can get perspective to see, hmm, maybe that way that I thought was so fantastic was not really the most fantastic way to go anymore. And then when you see in the book of Revelation that the, the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, they're all trying to make this, this case. Hey, heaven, who do you think you are? Do you think you really know what's best for all mankind? And the answer from so many that have, have gone from that dark path and said, turn back and said, no, I'm not going that way anymore, is, the answer is, Yes, the, the way to the tree of life is actually the better path. So then they have washed their, washed their robes, so to speak, in the blood of the lamb. So it's not because of the, the great woolite that we can find and apply to ourselves. No, it is because of the, the great mercy that has been extended to us because of Yeshua that is why we are able to wash away our past. That is why that happens. And also, in number 1635, it talks about fire came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. So, like we were mentioning earlier, very similar to what we saw in Leviticus 10. And interestingly enough, about offering incense. And incense, when you think about the Day of Atonement, uh, we had talked about that a little bit earlier, that incense was to cover the high priest as the high priest was coming into the Holy of Holies, to uh, cover the high priest so that he would not be um, directly in line now what is smoke going to do nothing it is um, a symbol of what it is that is actually covering you uh, you know incense is pictured there like in the book of revelation about a a um, prayers of the the holy ones of god so those prayers are uh, covering over you as the high priest and uh, bringing the concerns of the concerns of the people in toward God and, and covering over the sins, transgressions, and iniquities of all the congregation before the Lord. Now, 
you think of it just like the letter to the hebrews brings out in um a whole big portion of the book you know starting with chapter four and moving forward into chapter 10 that the high priest yes he has to offer has to has to bring offerings for himself and has to cover for himself well how much more then would the son of god be able to minister and to cover over our sins transgressions and iniquities with his own offering of himself versus bringing a separate offering of the um the bulls and also of the incense to cover him up now when you think also about the prayers of intercession you think of also the garden the garden of uh, gethsemane and where yeshua was praying that please let this cup pass from me but not what i will but what you will let that be done and that is our master teaching us that with the things that we want to do know what is it that heaven wants us to do and in the case of a korach and those who are coming forward you know are we willing to work in the roles that we have set for us or do we aspire to have some other role that is really not for us and see that's that's where you see in uh, clergy circles is the importance of accountability between uh, leaders to other leaders now some some people may chafe at the idea of some sort of a hierarchical um, setup of believers, but when you see in both the Tanakh and in the apostolic writings, there is the levels of accountability from one chain to the next that is uh, you seen there in the, in the terms of the priesthood and the judges. Of course, the judges were doing this for a civil government so there was that aspect for it but there was levels of accountability going all the way up the chain now when it when it comes here to to um you know our particular congregation yeah we don't have a, a denomination that we are affiliated with we um i have some you know spiritual advisors that i have from congregations that are here in this area so i know i um, consult with them but one of the challenges frankly is just that there is not that strict accountability i'm i mean you know i'm accountable to all of you so when you bring up your concerns and say hey you know this is this is not the way that this should be going we've had these in the in times past and we've had to change course and so um, that is the way that accountability should go. But, you know, strictly speaking, it's, it's something that we should maybe look at some ways to um, help there be a little bit more in the realm of accountability because I think it's only really fair to all of you and all of that our mission is here locally that we are um, making sure that the iron is sharpening iron and that we are 
keeping what we're doing in check with um, what the the words of God and the Spirit of God are really pointing toward. So that's a topic of uh, conversation more as the the days, months, and years go forward. But Korach is always a good opportunity to <laughs> revisit this discussion because it's a it's a very important one because it it. As you see, it shows up in the Bible a lot. Uh, the rebellion of Korach is mentioned a number of times throughout the scriptures, so it's a good opportunity to revisit it, to make sure, hmm, are you really being a good steward with what is put in your responsibility? And... This is one of those most curious parts of our particular Torah discussion. Numbers chapter 16, verse 37. Take up the censers out of the midst of the blaze, for they are holy. This is very interesting that what you have is <laughs> that the instruments that these people were using as a part of their rebellion ends up being fashioned into the um, something that would uh, be a plating on the, you know, so the surface of the altar. Uh, yes, Victor, uh, someone there has a question or a comment? Yeah. And that's, that's also, um, you know, the Apostle Paul also has a, a similar uh, admonition uh, to I'm trying to remember. I think that was uh, about Timothy about um, being not quick to um, to move people up into into leadership in a congregation for, for new believers because that's one of the particular challenges that congregations have is that new believers when they when they come in are incredibly on fire and they just want to do all kinds of things whether you know new believers or revived believers if um you know they've just gone um put on fire for the lord again but one of the the challenges is is that you know okay you've got the, the passion to do to do uh what you want to do and to perhaps a, a new particular passion or a mission but you know, are you perhaps ready for what is coming and uh, the have the ability to to stand in the in the process and to work through all the challenges in the process of it, um, to have the maturity to persevere through it and the challenges and the times that are either not so fun, etc. And that uh, gets back to what I was mentioning earlier about uh, accountability, no matter at, at what particular level that you're at in a given congregation, what part of the um, the parabolic um, parts of the body of, of God you are, whether a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear, etc., are there other comments or questions, Victor? Or see your hand up there.
Yes, Kerry, go ahead, please. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, the, the whole attitude that you approach it. And because um, one of the, you know, one of the uh, ways, I guess, we have a model for this is um, in how Abraham was um, questioning, you know, people say bargaining with God over, <laughs> of all things, uh, uh, Saddam and, <laughs> and Gomorrah. Uh, that's that's quite amazing but he was he was um coming as we say hat in hand with it you know very very meek uh he understood who he was talking to as he continued to push 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 to say hey uh maybe you should change course here and in our reading today we see moshe as he's interceding for people that we could say oh they deserved it unquote you know they really got what was coming to them so to speak but moshe said hey uh, even if they have it coming to them uh please have mercy and and just what carrie was talking about in talking with with leaders you say hey especially if it's a believer you know heaven's really put you into a, a position of authority and we're just concerned that you really should be taking this to um taking this to the higher level and you know yeah to just increase the the level of earnestness with the severity of whatever it is that's involved and of course this is to speak if there's something going on that's just reprehensible then you know, you have to get people involved that can take action quickly, whether that's the, um, you know, if you have to bring the law enforcement in, if it's something to that particular level to stop something egregious going on, then um, you have to do that. But the element is, is that, hey, you should be appealing to people who should know better. Okay, uh, you need to stop. But... Like what Kerry's mentioning, this is a balancing thing that should be going in two directions. From somebody who is um, fomenting rebellion or fomenting division, even not not a, even terms of rebellion, just fomenting division, to say, "Hey, you know, you're you're cutting into the the support of what the body of Messiah is all about." But then from the leadership level, if they are abusing their authority and pushing people around and um, really becoming uh, spiritual ogres and lording over it, other people that work with them, that then can get those who are seeing, seeing the sausage get made, so to speak, uh, in the back room. Uh, to say no, we don't like what's going on here. This is this is ugly. I I want out of here, and they just totally turn themselves off even to to God in the process. I've I've seen that happen where people get involved with um, with a congregation and uh, get abused, and then um, just emotionally abused, and then they just 
want to have nothing to do with God after that. Some people just will move on to another congregation, etc. But that's something where you should be having the counsel for the concerns coming up and the concerns coming down. So that is where the the position of um, those who in leadership you should be humble and those um, that are working with leadership should, should be humble too. So that's where the, the lesson of Korach is always a good one to revisit uh, no matter how many times. And we'll finish out here with this passage here from uh, Numbers 16, verse 46. Oh, uh, Victor, you got your hand up. So if somebody has a question or comment. Yeah, that that is a very interesting observation there about uh, sending in Aharon because, you know, he's the one who is uh, to... We, seen about the priesthood they are the ones that uh intercede and also um you know in interact between heaven and earth um i saw that uh victor you had your hand up again or is that passed i see your hands down okay all right Let's uh, close things out here with Numbers uh, 16, verse 46. Bring it quickly to the congregation and make the atonement for them, for the wrath has gone forth from the Lord. And what we see is that our great high priest, as it's recorded here in Hebrews 9, verses 11 and 12, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered into the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having attained eternal redemption. Amen. So we see there that uh, this picture of sending Aharon, Moshe, sending Aharon into the midst of the plague, into the mix of the rebels that the plague was coming into. I mean, you, you think about this kind of love and concern even for rebels because we see some examples that this kind of thing got to Moshe a lot and that was uh, one of the incidents that <laughs> that um, led to and was directly tied to his not going into the land was when he was uh, that encounter with the rock, you know, and one of the things he said is, you know, you rebels and, you know, shall I bring you in? And it mentions uh, later on that because he did not give the glory to God in the midst of this, they say that the Lord was going to bring you in because that even Moshe felt the pressure of that tendency to say, I've got to do this all myself. This is on me. And these people are just, they're just so insolent that they will not, they will not um, get with the program, so to speak. They just will continue to want to do it their own way, to be their own leader and to not be led. 
So Moshe even felt that frustration where God had to correct his friend and say, no, it's not all up to you. There will be someone else who will lead them into the land. You've led them up to the land and be able to see the land, but you yourself are not going to go in there. There'll be somebody else to take you in, to take the people in. So as we come full course, we get back to where we started and see some of the really the key lessons that we have that just like our master, so like us. So we may face a lot of things in life that will come against us, but how do we deal with this opposition that comes against us? Uh, Victor, yes, somebody there have a comment or a question? Well, one of those things is to use use Moshe as a model here. Um, use and see his attitude and how he is talking to God about people that are... I mean, you, we, we read the accusations that are coming against him. You know, who do you think you are? You, we're, we're all capable of being in this position. You've got nothing different. You're just trying to, to um, snow us here. And all these accusations that are coming down. And yet he prayed and said, hey, don't hold this against them. Um, and as we saw with that last interview, um, that in intervention where he sends um, Aharon in the midst of the plague to to make the plague stop against the people. I mean, he could have just said, uh, Aharon, hey, slow walk that. Yeah, don't don't hurry down there. Um, you know, t take your time and then just let the plague get almost everybody before he shows up. But no, he's like, run into the midst of it and stand before the living and the dying in the living and the dying amongst those that you know thought that Aharon and Moshe were um, thinking too much of themselves so when you say well what is the attitude of prayer just really study Moshe's prayer here and you know, another one is like you think of people that are uh, sitting under under judgment um, you know Daniel's prayer. We talked about that before when he's praying at the about the end of the uh, seventy years. He saw that coming. That he was praying for the restoration of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of it. But basically, taking on this the owning of the situation. Hey, this is something that has happened to us as a people, us as an assembly. So, and you know, have mercy on us. To, to really um, take ownership without taking ownership of it, that, hey, you're not directly responsible for what's going on, but it is something happening to the body. You, know, you think of a, the um, call of the Homer sort of thing about uh, the immune response of your body. You know, your, your um, part, other parts of your body may not be affected, but they all rally to aid because why? There's been an attack on another part of the body. And if the body does not respond, then uh, you're going to end up with an issue that will be uh, <laughs> really, really bad in the end. Any other uh, final thoughts before we close things out here? All right. 
Fantastic. Thank you. Well, I hope that this is another great reminder about the importance of of leadership and also the importance of really seeing the whole plan that God has in place and also about the accountability of leadership to the people and the, the accountability of people to the leadership. And as Kerry said, that the balance has to be going in both directions. And the best leaders are those that are incredibly humble. So thus, when you see that, as we've seen in a previous Torah study, that Moshe is described as the most humble person who's ever lived, that that is an amazing, an amazing compliment. All right, so next week we'll be at it with uh, Chukat, or um, the Statute of, and focusing on Numbers chapter 19, 20, and 21 at slash p39. So that's where we'll be next particular week. And I apologize for uh, this being... You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.